turn your Bibles, and those of you in our Sunday school class, when I say uh, the book of John, you're going to think, oh no, we've been there forever. Uh, I had uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when uh, I guess the last time I talked, which would have been a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were looking, and at the end of the Sunday school class, I actually had some some things that I was going to read. There's seven statements that Jesus Christ made from the cross. And I gave everyone a homework assignment to go home and see if they could find those. And I'm not going to ask them if they did, or I'm hoping that they did. Uh, because um, Jesus said some mighty things on the cross. And as I was thinking about that, I said, well, because what I was going to do was go back in the next Sunday school lesson and, and go back and touch on those things. But Pastor John uh, asked me last Wednesday night, actually, if I would speak tonight. And I'm thinking, okay, i got this to do, this to do, this to do, and that to do, and I've got a whole ton of stuff to do. But sure, I'll be glad to do something. But immediately that thought came to my mind. The sayings of Christ when he was on the cross. And what I want to do tonight, just for a little, well, I don't have a little bit, I'm going to try to make it a little bit, and it may be little or it may be long, I'm going to depend on the Lord's leading. But I want to look at those particular things. But first, I just want us to be reminded of what Jesus suffered on the cross for you and I. You know, I know in my life, uh, it seems as though uh, even the songs that we sing at the cross or the old rugged cross, uh, a lot of times I sing words, but I really miss the meaning of those words. Uh, uh, miss Jen, uh, during choir practice, a lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll mention that. And it strikes home to me. It's not about the words of the song so much as what the song is showing, what it's, what it's telling us. The cross is so very important to you and I as a child of God. Without it, we wouldn't have any hope. But because of it, we do have hope. And because of it, we have a great responsibility. And... Tonight, I just wanted to, actually, I have three passages of Scripture that I want to read, and the first one is actually in John, John chapter 19, and verses 17 to 30, that's what of Scripture was going to read, but I just wanted to call your attention to something. If you just flip back to uh, chapter 18, basically where all of this, and, and John starts with the betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and I'm not going to try to go through a lot of this uh, in, in detail, but I just want to kind of bring us up to where we're at in, in John chapter 19 and verse uh, 17. We know there in the first uh, 12 verses or first 11 verses of, of chapter 18, um, 
Jesus in the garden. We know the events that happened then. We know that in verses 12 uh, through 14, uh, Jesus was taken to uh, the band. Matter of fact, there in verse 12, it says, Then the band and the captain of officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Uh, that word band, uh, I, I spent a lot of time on this when we was in Sunday school, but that band could have been, it was an, they call it a cohort, which is an army of Roman soldiers. Could have been as many as from 60 to 600. You know, when we think of the band of men that took Jesus, sometimes we, we, we lose sight of what all is going on here. But they took Jesus and it bound him, and they led him to Ananias first, and then took him to uh, Caiaphas. And then on from there, he went to Pilate in verse 28. Now, there was some particular reasons uh, you know they they uh, took him to the high priest uh, Ananias was the high priest or had been the high priest he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas Caiaphas was the high priest at this particular time and what's important to see is that Jesus was first put on trial before the Jews and in an attempt to prove him guilty of blaspheming, because we know from the studies of the book of John that is uh, what they were trying to get. Claim, he was claiming to be God, and they thought he was blaspheming and heresy. And this is what we uh, kind of look at as, as the religious trial, if you want to put it that way. But then when he goes to Pilate, uh, Pilate uh, technically... Uh, the Jews were under Roman authority. So they could not actually sentence someone to death because they were under the Roman authority. So the scribes, uh, the, these high priests, all of these folks, they needed Pilate's help if they was going to put a stop to Jesus. So they took Jesus before Pilate. And then we, you can read on, and I, I want to encourage you to read through that again, even though we've looked at them in our Sunday school class and those of you that are not in the class, but it would be a good thing to read through that. I honestly think after uh, studying this, it would be a good idea for us to read the events of the cross at least once a week. I mean, to keep it fresh in our mind because we lose so much. The cross is important. Like I said, the cross is so important. But in chapter 19, we find the events that take place here, his scourging and being mocked. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. We read that sometimes, but do we really know what that scourging was? Uh, I, I did a little research, and uh, that scourging was a beating. Uh, and, they, and it's said to be a Roman scourge, or flagrum, as they call it, was a special type of whip 
used to scourge criminals before they were condemned to death. This torture instrument contained a crude body that allowed it to inflict such treacherous wounds. The Roman scourge was uh, a relatively short whip that had two or three leather ropes connected to the handle, which would be held by a man from the Roman legion, or that band of Romans, and they knew how to use them. Within the strands of these letters, leather straps was connected to the handle, would be intertwined with pieces of metal, bone, that were sharpened and placed along the rope in such a way that these pieces of bone or metal would be able to latch into the skin of a criminal and thrash out and give terrible injury. I don't know if you've seen pictures of uh, what's supposedly Jesus and after he's been beaten, but it's just a gruesome sight to think about. But this is what Christ took. He was beat. He was mocked upon. He was spit. Um, he was hit, but he did it because he loved us. He did it because he was born to die. The weapon was uh, so well known as a measure of taking before criminal was to be condemned to death. That they they were it was used to just cause all kind of amount of pain and agony to an individual that was going to be put to death, condemned to death. But now if you look in, in verse 17 of John chapter 19, and I probably won't take a lot of time in mentioning anything, but I just want to read it. And it says, He bearing his cross went forth to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Now there's a sermon in that verse as well, but another time. Where they crucified him, and two others with him on either side, one uh, either side, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest to the Jews, of the Jews, to Pilate, Write not king, the king of the Jews, but that he saith, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Again, there's a sermon in there. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat, now the coat was without a seam, woven from top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it or cut it or tear it, but cast lots for it, for whose shall it be? That the scriptures might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my garments among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cephas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother 
and the disciple, who was John, standing by, whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith unto his disciples, Behold thy mother. From that hour the disciple, who we know as John, took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus had therefore received the vinegar, he said, some of the greatest words that you'd ever hear him say, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. We see here a picture, John's picture. Now, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have uh, the scriptures that introduce all of this about Jesus' crucifixion. But turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. In verse 26, we're going to look at Matthew's account. In verse 26 uh, through verse 31, it says, Then released, well, let me go back uh, and pick up with verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing or talk the, the Jews out of what they were trying to do, but rather a tumult was made. He took water, washed his hands, before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood shall be upon us and on our children. Then released he Barnabas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, there's that scourging again, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto them a whole band of soldiers. There's that word band again. Could have been 60, could have been 600. And they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand and bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat upon him, and took the reed, and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, and took the robe off from him, and put on his own garment on him, and led him away to be crucified. And then look down at verse 35. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Then the last passage of scripture that I want to read is in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks of this event. And my Bible that I have my study Bible above this very first verse. It says, a man of sorrow. It says, who hath, in verse 1 of chapter 53, says, who hath believed our report? And to him is the arm of the Lord revealed. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. 
He hath no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty. But they should desire that they should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he was hid, as it were, from our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But verse 5 is a verse that we all remember so well. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, again, those stripes that were created from those scourgings, but because of those stripes, it says, we are healed. And in verse 10, it said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We see these passages of scripture of a great reminder of what Christ went through, the terrible agony, the pain, all that he suffered on the cross for you and I. You know, uh, there's a song, uh, and I've sang it, and we've all sang it probably at some point in our lifetime, but he did it all for me, and he did. Each drop of blood was shed for you and me. Can you imagine when we step inside those gates of glory and we look into the master's face. The words of this song that says, I'll gladly kneel at his nail-scarred feet and say, oh, praise the Lord. He did it all for me. You know, I, I, I just don't know uh, this side of glory what we would do without the cross. Uh, the cross was so important to each one of us. The cross was a reminder of what has happened. You know, it was once a device of execution that Romans used to put people to death. But it has become the symbol of Christianity because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You know, that moment in history, which is documented throughout Scripture, it's not only documented throughout Scripture, it's, it, 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 it's in history literature as well, which they're trying to do away with. But it, what it did, it changed the course of humanity. It was before Christ. B.C. and A.D., after his death, our calendars, everything that we do is surrounded by the events that took place there on the cross. That moment in history has played a big part in your life and mine. You know, Jesus showed you and I 
by his actions there on the cross, just how much God loved the world. You think of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The words that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross are very significant. And we want to take just a little bit to look at these words that Jesus spake on the cross. The first words concerning uh, were concerned to Roman soldiers. Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Actually, let's jump back up to verse 33. And since when they were come into the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, or those guilty of those criminals, those that had been tried and found guilty of uh, various and sundry things, one on the right hand and the other on the left. But Jesus says something here. He says, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ was speaking here of the Roman soldiers who had just viciously tortured him. They had, uh, he, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Christ had a love for people. And when we see Christ's love and concern for mankind exemplified here in that passage of Scripture, Father, forgive them. And he's still saying that today for mankind. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, For the Lord is not slack concerning his problem or promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And again, in John chapter 3 and verse 16, those famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We realize that mankind has a choice to make. But as you see what Jesus was doing here, Jesus led by example in both forgiving and praying for his enemies. He led by an example by forgiving and for praying for their enemies. You know, as a child of God, how's my example? How is my example to folks around me? Do I, uh, you know, we, we don't know what we may face before Christ comes. We all sit here tonight and we know that we feel like Christ is going to come soon. We know his, his coming is imminent. It could be at any time. It could be before the service is over tonight. But yet, when we go through life, are we leading by an example? Are we living our life that 
others might see Christ. You know, we say that, but so many times I think in my own life, sometimes I say it tongue-in-cheek. I, I say it, but do I really, really show it in my life? Do I try to live a life that others might see Christ within me? It's so important that we do those things. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He, he led by an example. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement was made to the thief in Luke chapter 23 and verses 39 through 43. I want you to know something here. It says, one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Here we find the fate of two individuals. Both were guilty. Verse 41. This one says, We indeed, uh, we, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. They weren't there by an accident. They were because there because they were wicked people. They had done some wicked things. They had been found guilty. They were going to be crucified just as Jesus Christ was. They were there. They were guilty of what they done. What made the difference in the lives of these men? God made the difference in the life of one of them. You know, one made a wrong choice. As I said before, we all, have, we all make that choice of whether we'll uh, accept Christ as our Savior, uh, whether we follow Christ. Uh, we all have to make those decisions. We all make those choices in our life. One made a wrong choice. But what was his reasoning? Back in verse 39, he said, uh, If thou be the Christ, what? Save thyself and us. He was looking at himself. He was looking at saving his life physically. He wasn't entertaining what was going to happen spiritually, eternally. He was looking at the here and now. Sad to say, but a lot of people live in that day to day, the here and now. They're more concerned about what's happening now than what's going to happen in the hereafter. You know, one day we're going to stand and give an account for all the deeds that we've done. You know, we used to wonder, well, how in the world is that going to happen? How in the world, you know, the Bible talks about it seems like your life is going to play back before you. Well, with all of electronics today, I expect it to be a pretty easy thing to do. But I'll tell you what, I'm not looking forward to that day because there's things in my life that I know that I done that I shouldn't have done or things that I should have done 
that I didn't do. That's probably the more reality or more sobering. And the other one, the other man, he saw Jesus for who he was. There in verse 41, he says, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing. And he said unto Jesus, you notice he called him Lord. He saw Jesus for who he was. And he asked Jesus, he says, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus makes a way for all people to call upon his name. Because of Calvary, everyone has an opportunity to call upon Christ. Many will. Many won't. But we need to take that responsibility that we take the truth, we take the word, and take it to them. He turns none away. The third statement we find in John chapter 19 and verses 25. Now, these may not necessarily be in any particular order. It's just the order that I've got, okay? But the third statement, he was looking at his grief-stricken mother. In verse 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Caiaphas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus is there for, well, let me stop right there and say, thank God for godly women. You know, it's said, scholars have said that there was a group of women, these included in that group and probably others, that followed Jesus and the disciples wherever they went, taking care of them and their needs. Thank God for godly women. But when Jesus looked at these women, and by the way, where were the disciples? All but John had fled. John was there, but all the rest had fled. Now Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple, singular, standing by whom he loved, which we believe was John, John, who the writer of this John. And he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. I told the Sunday school class when I was teaching that when I, before when I read that phrase, I was always thinking that he was telling Mary to look at him. But that wasn't what he was doing. He said, mother, he, he said Woman, behold thy son. Who was he talking to? He was talking about John. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And then from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. John took her and took care of his mother, the mother of Jesus, at Jesus' bidding. Jesus was following, fulfilling the command 
of God, fulfilling what God had given him to do, but yet he stopped and took time to make provisions for his mother. The fourth cry is addressed to God in uh, Matthew chapter 27. Verse 45 and 46, it says, Now on the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why had God forsaken me. We know that David in Psalm chapter 22 echoed that same feeling, looking for God, for the presence of God. But think about it. All the pain that Jesus had suffered throughout this whole event was nothing compared to this particular time in his life. There was darkness over the face of the earth. You know, I, I was uh, reading in the book of Exodus as part of my homework assignment for FBI. And it was talking about Moses and uh, when God had told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And of course, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart that he, he, he just continuously wouldn't let him go. But one of the plagues was darkness. And it was so thick that you could even feel it. Honestly, I think that's probably what was happening here. That darkness was so real. So it, would, it was almost like you could feel it. That Christ thought that God had forsaken him. And in one sense, he had. God can't look upon sin. Couldn't look upon sin. Christ took upon his body, the sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world at this point in time. I don't really think any of the other suffering that he had gone through was as bad, as physical as what this event was right here. We can't even begin to imagine what was happening. The sin of the whole world was being placed on him. So much had happened at this time. But he did it because he loved you and I and all mankind. The fifth statement is there in John chapter 19 and verse 28, excuse me. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, Jesus thirsted. Jesus thirsted. Now you notice in verse 29, there was a uh, was set a vessel full of vinegar. Don't get it, we don't want to get that mixed up with the gall that he was offered before because he would not take it. It was a painkiller in those days. But here, they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. 
And then the sixth cry we find there in verse 30. And when Jesus had therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. All of everything that Jesus Christ had came to do had been done. Back in John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, you find the Lord's Prayer. You find Jesus praying. The first five verses, he prayed for himself. Verses 6 through 19, he prayed for his disciples. Verses 20 through 26, he was praying for all believers. But he says in verse 3 of John chapter 17, says, And this is life eternal, and that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou givest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self and with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. But he had finished the work that Jesus had told him to do. And the seventh cry is in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verses uh, 44 through 46. And again, it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Again, there's another message in there. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I have committed, commit, commended my spirit. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. No one took Christ's life. He gave it up freely. He gave it up because he loved you and I, and I. Ultimately, what Christ's experience on the cross of Calvary was ultimately, he was saying, I love you. And again, I go back to that old song that him writer wrote. He did it all for me. If I'd have been the only soul on the face of the earth, he would have died for me. And we all need to look at it that way. It's so very important. I, I honestly think that so many times we, uh, we know all the events, but I'm afraid we forget them or we don't remember them. We don't see Jesus for who he was and what he did, how he sacrificed, how he suffered. And we get so wound up in what we do and our uh, woe is me, and all of, the, particularly in the day in which we live. But remember, Christ is God's in control, and it's all because of the cross. And we just want to praise Him tonight, Father. We thank you, Lord. I I, I pray that uh, in some small way that we could begin to just understand, Lord, all the events all the things that you went through, Father, I realize that we can't. 
There's no way in, uh, on this side of heaven, Lord, that we can even begin to fathom all that you did for us. But, Father, we need to be aware of the love that you had for us. And because of that love, you have given us a responsibility of serving you, of witnessing for you, of living for you. Lord, it's a great testimony that we are able to do that. And Father, we pray. Lord, we don't know what may happen before you do come or we go home by death. We don't know what may happen. Our faith may be tested. But Father, we know that we follow you, Lord. You are in control. Father, we thank you tonight and pray that you just bless. Be with us now. Forgive us when we fail. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Anybody else have any other prayer requests? Yes, Corey. Anybody else? you to pray and Terry I'll get you to pray as well. 